Hi there, welcome to Chinwag. With me, uh, Mike Laverick, uh, your ever genial host. Um, with me this week is a chap I think I first met through the London uh, VMware user group. And in fact, there's a meeting coming up very shortly. Uh, if this podcast goes out in time, it will be next week on the 24th of January. Now, I wish I hadn't said that because I'm now doubting whether that's the right day. But anyway, next week. Anyway, with me uh, is a chap called Ed. But uh, you are about to hear his dulcet tones or see his face, or you can see his face if you're watching the video version of this. Ed, can you introduce yourself to uh, people listening in or watching on their various devices? <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Ed Grigson, uh, blogger over at theexperience.co.uk. And as Mike said, sort of fairly much the attendee of the London VMware user group. And uh, Ed, give us a little bit of background on, on who you are. How did you get into IT and how did you get into virtualization? Did you stumble into it or did you see, wow, this is the way it's going to go? What's your background? I probably stumbled into it in the 80s, maybe, in, not into the virtualization, obviously. I'd have been very ahead of the curve. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things. I was one of that generation that grew up on Commodores and DBCs and Spectrums and those sort of early 8-bit computers. Just kept at it, hobby, and that turned into a career. You know, university, first jobs, there was an element of that was what I was good at, that was going to pay, and obviously that's worked out fairly well in the long run in terms of it evolving into a career. Um, in terms of the virtualization piece, I think I started really around the end of 2006, 2007. I'd seen some of the earlier ESX, but I couldn't really say I was involved in it. Um, you know, version two, I think I worked for a company who were looking at it and using it, but it was all run from the States. So I sort of saw it, thought, hmm, what's all that? And didn't get any further mm. until I moved on to another job and they were just getting into it. And I sort of basically put my foot in the door, did my first VCP, and the rest is history, as they say for a lot of people. Although I would correct you that the first time I met you, therefore, was in fact my VCP training, my original. Oh my God, I, was I your instructor? You were my back in February of 2007 or something like that. I can't remember if that's when I passed the exam or the course, but anyway. I remember being aware of who you were even when I took the course. I think I'd been on some forums, I'd seen your name around, turned up day one of the course, and I was like, oh, I know that name. I, I know who this guy is. <laughs> it's funny, so, actually, as an instructor, it does kind of help if you have a bit of a rep, a good one, ideally, before you come into a course, because, you know, a lot of people have been on courses where within the first hour they realize the instructor knows nothing what they're talking about and it's going to be a waste of their time but there's always because of that you always have to establish your credibility with students and anything yeah. that makes it quicker and faster for people to go yeah this guy know what he's talking about the quicker you get over the barrier and you get into actually delivering the content so it just sort of helps so can you remember where the course was that might jog my memory oh no i think offhand it was possibly tower 42 i mean certainly central london somewhere <laughs> no, I, I didn't teach very often in Tower 42, and I do remember that venue. And if you're not from the UK, Tower 42 is what used to be in the Nat West building, one of the tallest buildings in London, and it, it got rebranded and, and renamed. I think I only taught there twice, and I remember the layout. So uh, although I don't remember the teaching, I do remember the classroom and the building. <laughs> I, yeah. I've done a million training courses over the years. It may or may not have been there. I think it was, but... It is going back, you know, five years. That's another lifetime. <laughs> so before we get started proper into the discussion, uh, what I wanted to know is what role does CATS play in your design of uh, a virtualized environment? Because uh, if you're not watching the video portion here, I can see uh, in uh, Ed's man cave a, a whiteboard with, you know, diagrams of the cloud. But over on the far right, there appears to be... Uh, a, a cat and a, a person with a small head. Can you explain the role of cats in, in virtualization for us, Ed? I'm just trying to think what I could do. Only play on Cat 5, Cat 6 or something like that. But no, there is Or even V-Cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it, it's purely for me a nice whiteboard for my man game, as you said, sketching out all my architectures or where I'm going to plumb in my lab whatever it might be. Normally, it's a list of things I plan to work on and never find time for. Um, but for my wife, it's a chance to doodle and sketch for our young son and draw up funny diagrams and things, which he's just about getting old enough to recognize. So it's not a very technical cat, this one. 
Well, I mean, hopefully, you know, his interest in Cartoon Cats will be led seamlessly into the building of virtualized infrastructure for cloud platforms. Yeah, it's an obvious migration path, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, as people probably know, we, you know, I always have like a little email chit chat with the Chinwagi about the topics that we've going to talk about. Um, we've got three topics, but we might go to four, depends on what sort of time it is. We need to stop talking about cats for that to really happen. <laughs> so the first one is all about uh, Oracle and Oracle VM and Oracle applications. I'm going to keep Stum here because this is really uh, Ed's story. And I'll let you, you know, offload all your views and perceptions. And then I might say a very small amount at the end, but... I want to avoid coming across as the VMware guy who sticks the knife into into Oracle. Um, much though I might enjoy doing that, um, I'll try and I'll try and be a good boy. So Ed, the platform is yours. Lovely. Um, I think in reality, actually, I would probably be the VMware guy sticking the knife in as well. You know, much though I like to think I'm neutral, I have a, a strong VMware background. Certainly, much stronger in skill set than it is Oracle. So I'm approaching this still from a VMware, certainly from an infrastructure point of view. Um, and it's around that, so where I work, we have a fairly, well, I think large Oracle infrastructure. I've never, I'm not an expert in Oracle, but it's, so uh, we have a, probably I think now we're sort of 15 or 16 servers make up this service that we run and it's a typical web app, DB, three tier setup. Um, where I come into, I suppose, is this estate has been growing and growing and growing over the years. And actually, it might touch on one of our second topics, the cloud director, if we, when we get to that. Um, and the, the challenge increasingly has become they want to scale out. They want to do all the things that you would normally want to do that I, the minute they mention it, think, great, virtualize it. Because point number one, I guess, today it's physical. Um, I've tried very hard <laughs> to virtualize it to make any progress. That's been a, I've been at this place for just over five years. I think three and a half years ago, we got final sign off that we had a virtual first policy, sort of on everything. There was a semi unspoken, we won't do databases, and particularly the production big databases. Look, nobody's going to do them, are they? So virtual first, databases, no. The rest, you might have to justify if not. Then the years sort of passed, and we've ended up rebuilding this production infrastructure here and there when it scales up or something. And each time I'm like, well, so we're, we're going to virtualize it now, right? And I get this pushback. And I guess it's it's all around how how you advance, for me, this Oracle estate, how I do something more advanced with it, how I get it off physical hardware. The moment, at the moment, I guess, the push is all through the Oracle application team, which is totally understandable for me. You know, A, the business outside of the business systems divisions recognize Oracle. The branding's in the top corner of the browser. All our company users, when they go and use something, know the name Oracle. VMware, everything up, no, never heard of it. Average user of my company wouldn't think that, you know, the company run VMware anywhere, they'd be unaware of it. Oracle, yeah. All the management, everyone knows the name Oracle. So if the Oracle team turned around and said, well, we, we're not sure about this VMware layer and we're not sure that's what we should be doing, they get given preference. And, you know, we've, we've had, we probably have a, a team of, I'm guessing, 20-odd Oracle administrators of various guises in the team. Um, that there's been a, a various people come and go. We have contractors. Some are more virtualization friendly than others. Some of them have worked with it before, said, hey, this is great. We should be doing it. Others come in and say, not with my dead body, essentially. Um, and it's increasing. I've noticed now we've had, um, we're in another of these phases. I think they're cyclical for me. Every couple of years, the infrastructure needs to change. It needs to grow. We move a site or something. And the opportunity to rebuild it comes up. And therefore, the decision of should it go virtual, should it not? Um, and we're going through another of these cycles now. We're sizing up the infrastructure again, scaling it out. And the exadators and their like have sort of come into the frame. Um, I don't know if everyone's familiar with exadators. I don't know if you don't know how they are, Mike. I didn't before they came up. But essentially, I just think of it as it's another appliance. It's a converged infrastructure offering from Oracle. So like the, the V-blocks from VCE and so on. This is Oracle's version, top to bottom of the stack. Um, for databases, and they have an Excel logic, which is the equivalent, but it would handle a more generic workload and it handles the application tier. Um, the interesting thing for me is that as soon as that came into the discussion, it took away a lot of my bartering power, if that's the right way to say it. Um, up to now, infrastructure is infrastructure and applications are applications. And I, I need to know what 
application workload is when I'm specifying servers or networks, interconnects, amounts of storage. I still need to know what my workload is, but they're fairly distinct. Once someone says, I need this many either IOPS or transactions, I can size the infrastructure, I'm done. The sort of the introduction of all these converged infrastructure offerings, and in particular the Oracle one, has started to tie it together a bit. So what I found was before it's hit the infrastructure team as a project request, the management team have been looking at scaling out the Oracle infrastructure. They've spoken to the Oracle team. They've said, hey, there's an exadata. You know, that will do it. It's Oracle certified, top to bottom of the stack. We could go with that. Um, even before it's hit our team, there's a, a feeling of, well, that sounds nice. When they do come to us and say, what's your alternative? It's almost hard to argue because that includes, so certainly if you go with Exologic, it includes Oracle's hypervisor. And you can't break it down. You can't have half an Exologic and put it on VMware or pick and choose your components. So suddenly, and I think this is sort of fairly unique to Oracle, their converged offering goes from the application right through the infrastructure. And therefore, the application team are suddenly, it's the application team specifying the infrastructure we will run. It's no longer them saying, hey, we need X performance, we would like this sort of resilience or anything. They're saying, we would support this application stack, and therefore, the rest is a done deal. The infrastructure team have no input, they don't run it. And it's sort of a, it's a bit of a scary world, frankly, to sort of think, hang on. Obviously, there's the element of, I don't know these machines, who's going to administer it, what happens to our corporate standards, all those sort of questions, which everyone's interested in. Um, it's more the fact the direction of where this remit has come has changed. And for me, I see an awful lot of stuff heading up the stack. It's more and more about the apps. So can I ask, when, when this debate came up and it became a bit more nuanced, not just, we don't want to use virtualization, we want to run a physical, and it kind of morphed into... We, yeah, we want to do virtual now, but we're now wanting to do it on this top-to-bottom stack. What were the counter-arguments that came up in that? How, how did, what, did, what, sort of people, what did people say to say, well, hang on, uh, is this a direct... What were the, you know, the counter-arguments to it? Um, I think the counter-arguments were what you would expect. So there was very much a push from certain parts of the business, and I think it was led sort of by Oracle teams and certain Oracle professionals who'd worked with Exadatas who just said, you know what, there's no argument if you pick this, there's no mantering, or is it VMware, do we call, do we call Oracle, any of this, it's just one thing. The arguments came against were exactly what you'd expect, but A, so there is one throat to choke, but now you are completely in Oracle's school. If the next year they double their licensing, you, you have nothing to do. You can't split it out. You have less choice. We have the usual, actually, you know, we have a reasonably big VMware estate. Um, we've got probably still a thousand virtual machines, 50 hosts. We've got a team of probably six or seven people who are all fairly well trained on VMware. There's still acceptance that in the marketplace, VMware is still best of breed and is a market leader. Oracle, you know, one cent maybe. Um, how many skilled people? You know, to be honest, we still struggle a little when we go and recruit people and we want a mixture of VMware and storage skills or something like that. You then throw in, uh, ideally, we want someone with Oracle VM experience. And yeah, the feeling is the chances of finding a qualified person who ticks all the boxes you've got and Oracle VM. Well, I know from trying to put in VMware where there's still 70,000 VCPs, it's hard to get. And Oracle. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's hard enough to recruit X and then you need to X plus Y, it's going to make it even harder to find somebody to, to support it, isn't it? You know, it wasn't a blind... And a, a, we haven't made a decision as a company, so that's fine. And I think most people were fairly realistic about saying that Oracle VM is a minority platform, it's niche. Does it suit us? You know, there's that element of because the company is perceived to run on Oracle, well, surely Oracle's solution would be in the running. Whether it's a niche run or not, maybe we are that niche. Um, and it's a did, they, did, the, did the question ever come up of... Well, you know, if we bring in Oracle in this way, what we'll have is two different virtualization layers and, you know, the complexity of management, the complexity. I mean, they would be siloed out, I imagine, you know, you know, you know, VMware well, doing all your x86 and then the, uh, the Oracle VM doing its thing completely separate. But wasn't there a sense of, hmm, aren't we supposed to reduce complexity rather than introduce more variances into the environment? Um we have a sort of an architecture board that sits over all these big decisions and I'd gone to them to say, look, I kind of want to get sign off ideally that we could virtualize production Oracle. Now at the minute I was arguing that as a, I'm not actually arguing for a particular stack. I don't want to have the argument about which hypervisor we deploy right now. I want a general decision that virtualizing it is the right thing. The benefits of virtualization should be what we're aiming for. 
when it comes to it, we can argue, argue about which stack. And everyone was happy with that and signed that off and so on. When it does come to that, certainly we would have that, you know, my reply, I guess, I don't want to either come across as a VMware zealot to them. I need to be able to say, here are the pros and cons. Here's what we will and won't get. I, hey, if someone would send me on an Oracle VM training course and show me if it is actually good and where it's better, what's deficient, happy days. I learn it, put up my CV, it's something extra. Um, but I'd be very aware that it would be a case of all the processes or the procedures or the third-party management tools are unlikely to be compatible. Because even now, when there's a growing number of tools that do multi-hypervisor, I would be astounded if any of them do VMware and Oracle VM. Because of the, the small market share and, you know, who's going to develop a technology to manage uh, a hybrid virtualization environment for a vendor that has 1%. It's, yeah. you know, you create a product for like, for what, for who would consume it, you know. We'll be going up against Oracle, and again, you you know you wouldn't pick them, would you? They're you know fourth or fifth in the hypervisor stack, so the shared management tools I know would be a challenge. Um, so yeah, we we definitely have those conversations. I said there's there's no decision, that's just an interesting direction to see, and I guess that's always been play stack everything together, make you buy everything, and it's such a big big beast that a lot of people get so far down the path and go well, may as well go the whole way. Well, I guess a similar analogy would be saying that uh, if you want virtual desktops and you're interested in Citrix rather than Vue, do you have to have the Citrix Zen hypervisor? But I think something like 60 or 70% of even Zen desktop installations, the underlying hypervisor is actually vSphere. It's not It's not Citrix. Uh, and these numbers are in the, the public domain. So... Um, but I, I guess you're right because it's not just the virtualization, not just the app layer virtualization layer that Oracle are going for. They even want you to buy their hardware as well. Is is that what we're getting at? Yeah, and you know, I guess we it works for and against us that we've actually run into some of the issues whereby. So if we went with VMware, for example, you know, the the Oracle support stances. If we run into an issue which we believe is down to the hypervisor, we'll ask you to rep to uh, reproduce the issue on physical hardware. To which obviously you say to whatever else does, great, not a problem. You know, we can have blades, we can do a V2P, we can put them back and then do some more testing. Um, and we've actually hit the issue where even in our physical environment, we've hit sort of block corruptions, which Oracle have said, you know what, this is outside of our remit. This is something to do with your infrastructure. So we're already forced to reproduce issues on alternative hardware to see if it's actually, I'm like, from my point of perspective, I think we already have this issue. Adding VMware does make support no harder. Does it add an extra moving part? Absolutely. Does that moving part add loads of benefits for us, which the company have agreed they want? Absolutely. Mm. So, I mean, it, it's still an interesting one because it's political and it, it, there's all kinds of other ramifications outside the technical. I think the mm. technical, very few people would. Yeah, I think sometimes the, the one throat to choke argument is overstated in our industry because, oh, oh, it's one throat to choke. And then you actually sit down and you list the number of different vendors the enterprise actually deals with. And it, it runs to a big, long list. So they focus very narrowly on, the oh, it's one throat to choke. Oh, but, oh, by the way, there are all these other <laughs> vendors that we deal with. So, you know, if it's just another vendor that you have to deal with, it's like, well, this is this is what we do. This is what our job is, you know. If you don't like this, don't be in IT because you work in a multi-vendor environment anyway. I think what's interesting about that narrative, though, is how things have progressed because we've you've moved on from thou shalt not virtualize databases to, well, actually, we, we think we should be doing this. And that is some kind of progress beyond it just being a blackballed, we, we don't do this off the table kind of... Um, idea so there is some progress positive there to to be said isn't there definitely and actually you know, I mean, i've been keeping an eye out for these i obviously want because also i need some real world evidence it's great for me to come and say hey i've been to vim world i've seen the stats here's the official support stance and you risk and someone going yeah but you're just towing the vmware line or whichever vendor of choice sort of thing so trying to find some real world look these guys have done it they have no hidden agenda this was just the best decision for them um mm -hmm. and uh, Cisco rather put out some papers last week. Um, now again, they have a slight stance. They obviously make the whole UCS stack, and they were putting out papers saying we've done all this virtualization on the UCS stack. But they don't have a particular stance in the actual VMware play. You know, they've got VCE and everything, but to a reasonable degree, then you <laughs> so. And their paper is actually claiming that by the end of this year, they will have virtualized 95% of their Oracle Rack databases. Now, that for me is great if I can go to someone and say, you know what, 
A, they're a much bigger company. They're going to have much bigger Oracle installs than us. They're aiming to have 95% of them done by the end of the year. Whether they do that or not, they see the value in doing it, trying it, getting around it. And that sort of thing, if I can pass on to my management team and say, look, there will be a load of people with alternates saying, actually, we, this isn't standard. Most companies wouldn't risk it. Mm-hmm. Nice to have some real. Actually, these guys are. Here's the benefits. Sometimes you need to be a bit bold and say, if you want the, the benefits, here's what you have to do. And interestingly, actually, we, we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, would you sign it? So would you bring in an Oracle instance, whether it's an estate, whatever, whatever solution you pick for your Oracle estate, can you say it's fairly separate to everything else? Well, we have a reasonably big sort of test dev estate. And actually, this, so vCloud Direct was one bit I wanted to come on and talk around around test and dev. Yeah, but before we drift on to that, I've got a couple of things I wanted to ask you on this particular topic before we get into the vCloud Direct, because I'm really interested in this. Um, first is an anecdote, and the second one is a question. I, you, you know me through being an instructor. I was once teaching a course in London, and uh, I was talking about the challenges of virtualizing Active Directory, dealing with the time service and AD synchronization and so on. And one guy on the side of the table just sort of sat back in that very British way, folded his arms, and then puts his, oh, it's a very brave person who decides to virtualize Active Directory. So basically he's questioning whether I, you know, I should even be promoting this. And then without prompting another student opposite him from a totally different country, uh, uh, company just sat back and said, why have we been doing it for two years without any issues? What's your problem? And I just went, brilliant. I just sat back and let them talk about it because it didn't put me into the fanboy position of having to promote something and coming across as a fanboy um the two customers just went and went for each other debated it and at the end of it the guy who said it was a, a bad idea went well, all right well am i considering it yeah. so i was like anyway moving on to the next topic but the that's just a throwaway anecdote about not wanting you to come across as a fanboy in these particular things because it can actually neutralize the value of what you then say at the business because you're then dismissed ah well you're just saying yeah. that because you're a, an advocate but I wanted to ask before we move on to the next topic: Is that was there a, was there an aspect of vSphere or the infrastructure suite that a killer set of features that kind of would have made this debate about Oracle VMVM or uh, vSphere a non-argument that you know people just went right, okay, VMware is. I mean, I know it's a loaded question, <laughs> but uh, was was there anything like that? I don't think so, actually, because I think there's probably acceptance that the VMware sort of feature set is still stronger. You know, I know I spoke to you, I've had a comparison, so I don't think they still have storage vMotion, maybe. I remember there was a feature that I thought, right, Oracle VM still doesn't have, that we we have, that we're used to. So at the technical level, I don't think there's any concern. Um, we've also been running our test and devastate 100% on VMware, including all the Oracle stuff, for four years. We've never had a problem. We've never hit something that we've had to log with Oracle and they've come back and said, that's the hypervisor, we need you to reproduce it. So I was already coming from a, a certain point of strength of saying, you know, we are that other customer who can sit there and say, we've virtualized Oracle, including Oracle Racks. And so not- you, said, you said storage vMotion is a feature that Oracle VMM, VMM doesn't have. Now, some people would say, yeah, well, you hardly ever use storage vMotion. It's a feature that you use once a quarter or once a year. And they might dismiss that feature gap as being irrelevant. Uh, would you agree with that, or would you say actually it's more significant as a feature? I guess it depends on your usage. For us, is it every quarter? Even if it might be, um, I know we've used it in the past. When we've moved, we have a, a reasonably big sort of net app state behind the scenes. We've had to move production from one net app to another. We can do it all non-disruptively. Now, for us to take down our Oracle estate. Is obviously it's business affecting. It's a mission critical service. We once waited five months to get downtime at a weekend, so we oh. could. Now, for me, in that case, if someone says the cost is X, whatever it might be, and it's non-disruptive, I know if I turn around and said, you know, this solution, even if I if I did a cost comparison, I said VMware comes in, you know, ten percent more, twenty percent more, but you won't have to wait five months to do this operation, and the business won't be aware of it or not the money normally becomes sort of trivial. And they're like, you know what, we're all about the non-disruptive. This is a better thing. And we have, a, again, I think, a position more of strength of we have this already. Therefore, actually, I'd be saying if we go with Oracle VM, we are going to have more disruption than you're used to. Because today, you have it non-disruptively. 
over the years, I guess I've made my point of having put it in. There have been occasions when I said, we're doing this this weekend. There will be no business disruption. And that's because we have this and the other. Therefore, you know, this would. So in our non-prod world, I can quite often say, you want that? Not a problem. I can either dynamically add CPUs or I can easily scale this up or I can do this quickly. But in production, I can't do that because production is still physical and therefore there's extra options. So it's kind of already in people's heads. I think there's acceptance of sort of drip drip effect of you saying that people go, right, okay, yeah. Problem in a way with VMware, if it works very well, but it works behind the scenes, my management may just say, can we do that? If I just say yes, they have no idea what what that was needed for that. If they next year assistance fees go, cool, this stuff's expensive. It's much easier for me to have shown along the way mm. what doing what versus otherwise I'm like, oh, well, that's NetApp. That's fabulous. They let us do all this. And you're like, actually, it's not necessarily it's NetApp. Not. It's somebody else, yeah. Anyway, frankly, this isn't a pro VMware thing. It's, if it's something that some great NetApp feature that we've licensed, I'm saying, actually, NetApp snapshots let us do this or VMware let us do this, then it's worth letting people know the value of the various features and licensing because we tend to deal with it ourselves. You know, I'm, I run the VMware estate. I have to pitch the licensing. If we only want to go to Enterprise Plus, I'm the one who's saying, I think we should go to Enterprise Plus. Here's the cost. Here's why I think so. So I then want to cut my arguments as time goes on as to whether that was the right thing to do or not. Yeah, yeah I guess I guess what we're getting at here is there's always a danger if you act like the Wizard of Oz behind a curtain moving the levers and nobody knows what's involved or what was needed to make, make that happen and being a little bit more open and saying... Yes, I could do that, and the reason I can do that is X and Y. It's a constant sort of reminder of what the benefit is, whether it's from NetApp or whether it's from VMware of doing that. But anyway, I, I kind of I stole your thunder because you were segueing very kind of uh, sophisticatedly into the next question, and I went, no, no, I still want to talk about Oracle. But the other topic we do have, as you were wanting to move on to, was talking about vCloud Director for Test and Dev. And you said you wanted to discuss this because you believed it was a, a less common use case for vCloud um, than most people say. I, I think that was the kind of phrasing that you were using. But again, I, I want to shut up and I want to give Ed the, the floor to sort of, you know, tell us what your what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I started, I'm not, again, I'm not a vCloud expert. I haven't read your whole blog post series yet. When I get there, I'm <laughs> sure I will. I, I, to know where it would fit in when I might want to use it. And so our test and dev for Oracle have grown to be fairly, for my for my own sort of monster environments, for me, we provision environment, which is around 85 VMs, and that replicates production. So one copy of my production environment would run in, you know, 80 or so VMs. Um, and that's a mixture across SQL, Oracle, probably, I don't know, 100 different apps, some of which are off the shelf, some of which are bespoke to the company, um, it's a reasonably complicated environment. Um, and that's across probably six different VLANs, heartbeats for various clusters, all kinds of things. We struggle to build these because it takes at the minute around three months for me to build another of those environments. But from that breakdown, the infrastructure piece is probably two to three weeks. I still have some physical networking that needs doing. So provisioning of VLANs across various switches, across various data centers, that always takes longer than I'd like it to do. So this is a physical build that takes this length of time. We've we've tried to turn it into kind of building block exercise, as in those ATVMs might run across six blades. There's three in one chassis, three in another, one in one right. site. I'm with you. I'm with you. Thing, um, and then standardise it simply because over the years we've probably built nine or ten of these environments, and we've got better and more standard each time we do it. Um, and where we we really struggle is the application tier. So that three months, the first. Even the first month, maybe, is infrastructure. And in reality, we have that scripted now. So we do a scripted build, and it creates all the storage on the net apps. It builds all the VMs. It sets all the sort of template parameters. It does a whole load of guest OS provisioning. So I can build 80 VMs overnight and set up most of it. And they're a mixture of Windows and Linux, and all the guest OS configs of Windows or Linux is all done automatically, all through wonders of PowerShell, etc. Um, but we hand over to the application teams and they have to do manual installations of every single application we own and that takes another good two months for a team of about eight people so it's very manually intensive mm. now we've been looking at a way of accelerating this and my first thought was well isn't this really what i mean essentially this is no different to a cloud we want fast provisioning we want to be able to clone everything could we we could accelerate some of that with a better template you know i could build an oracle rack template node, build two of them, do certain things. 
But you always get into this issue of where the application won't behave if you change its IP address or you change its name or something a bit hard-coded. They get too... Yeah. So I, A, can't clone my production boxes because then if, the minute I change a name or an IP, I have to build the application stack from the ground up. We can't strip it out, retrofit it or anything else. Um, and I started thinking the only way that would that would work is if I could ring fence this entire environment so that it could never talk to production. So I could actually take a copy of production, keep the names, keep the IPs, and the, the vCloud fencing lets me do that. And I, I looked at Lab Manager probably about three years ago and thought, well, that looks like it would do it. And oddly, we even I bought... I think it was called uh, cross-horse cross yeah. fencing or something back then. Yeah. And we looked at it at the time and thought, well, that, that looks pretty good. Uh, we even bought some sort of trial lab manager licenses. But we never got remit to actually do a project, so it never really progressed anywhere. It would have been easier back then. An environment was probably half the size, 40 VMs, and it's grown over the years to get even bigger and harder. Um, I'm still aware of that network fencing ability to sort of isolate an environment to automate the network pieces around it. So I could, even if I built one of these environments from the ground up, so it wasn't a duplicate production, kind of said, you know what, there's my gold build, push a button, I want another one. Mm. Wrap, you know, whether that nested vApps, there's a load of ways of sort of wrapping it all together, taking all the networks and duplicating the whole thing. Now, to my mind, that's all vCloud's doing. It's doing it in the cloud context. Multi-tenant is what it's sold as for. Well, these two test environments could just be two different companies. And the two environments, you never talk to each other. You've got all the same isolation you'd want from a multi-tenant. You've got self-service. Ideally, my developers would want to just press a button and get an environment and done, not involve us at all. So all the things that vCloud is sold on, multi-tenancy, self-service, the faster provisioning, particularly the tied-in networking, which is a critical piece for us, they're all there. One of the challenges for me is that VCD is sort of sold and very much aimed at cloud infrastructure. And cloud, as we know, has become an amorphous word for anyone selling anything. So if I take my management, I've, I've put in my this, my proof of concept, and said, here's what you should do. When I did that, I didn't name the product. Because I thought, if I go in here and do anything and say, oh, it's a cloud thing, they're like, look, at the minute, we're not really into cloud. We're not too fussed about it. This is an internal project. And if I talk multi-tenant, well, we're not multi-tenant. It's all into so it's like, you know what? I don't want to cloud it by, don't <laughs> cloud the issue, by saying this is cloud solution, blah, blah. Because lab manager was, if I'd gone in and pitched a lab management product, well, that's exactly what we're doing. If I pitch a cloud product, well, that's not the same thing, is it? All right, I see. So it's a question of naming and the impression those names give to people, the kind of soft perception of things. And it, it's absolutely daft because it's a big product, it's a big skill set. You can do all these things, so the name should be fairly irrelevant. Mm. But as I said, the perception of, and I think it's also the fact that, you know, lab manager has gone end of life vCloud directory is very much its successor. It isn't a direct sort of one-to-one -one mapping of the functionality. The features have been implemented with a cloud mindset, essentially. So there's a slight variance maybe in how they're done. Um, and that just means if you're selling it for a lab management sort of solution, it's a little harder than it would have been, which is, which is a shame. But, so, and that overlaps, you see, with my, well, is my production environment, my production Oracle environment, going to go virtual? Because if it is, suddenly then does that go virtually in VCD? And then can I clone it in VCD far easier for my test and development? Absolutely. If, you know, and I had a, a few conversations with various people in the community around this whole thing saying, hey, what were the limits on VCD? Can I do, can I put 100 VMs in a single VApp? What's the limit? And can I clone that whole VApp? And can it be nested five levels deep with all my different racks and groups and so on? Um, and the first, everyone chatted back and said, yeah, that's useful, that's an interesting use case. I made the assumption that the environment I was cloning off was virtual until I said, oh, no, that's, that's all physical. It's running on tin. It's just, ah, right. So how you get your gold build is now a bit of a challenge. So for me, actually, all these things feed into the same. Until I can get my production environment virtual, it hampers what I can bring into test and dev and <coughs> hampers what I could offer them as ways of doing their test and dev cloning. Well, I've, I've got a couple of little things that might nuance this a little bit. Yeah, vCloud Directory is virtual only, but there is this thing called vCloud Automation Center, the dynamic ops acquisition, which is both physical and virtual. So for a customer who is in that kind of hybrid mode, they've got an application that's both physical and virtual. I mean, a good example of this is SharePoint. So a lot of SharePoints, the front ends are virtual, but the SQL back ends 
because of we don't virtualize databases are still on physical so they become difficult applications to automate the deploy of because they're not all in one particular basket and it's not a problem that's going to go away immediately over time and so i think we do need a kind of interim method of doing that um you know before you know we get to the point where every almost everything is virtual there'll always be something that's physical it'll be the to be the ESX host, you know, or something like it. But maybe, maybe that's a way of 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 positioning it that a product on its own has a certain design that and it fulfills that design. But then you can't say, well, it can't do this thing that it was never designed to do in the first place. If you follow me, you know, um, I don't know how to put that in an in an, in an artful kind of way. Uh, there was another end to this particular discussion, which was about. What if you decide that you don't want to host this test environment internally and you want to go to the third party market? Can you expand on that that viewpoint yeah. that you had? I think like everyone, we're, we're very aware that it's becoming an easier, easier and easier to outsource, whatever you want to call it. The cloud is making it easier to move workloads around the place or say, you know what, could someone else host this bit of our infrastructure for us? And certainly we've looked at that as well and thought, you know, how else so our production Oracle, for instance, what if we just said we want to find an Oracle partner and we want them to just run the whole thing for us? Yeah. Well, again, for me, so vCloud, if I do that internally, I've already got VMware. If it's a small step to go up to vCloud director to run test and dev, and if at any point they then decide that actually they, they would rather someone else run it or they want two more environments, for example, and we don't have the hardware and the capacity in-house, then great. I can just say there's a whole vCloud network out there. I can go to any of them, try and run it. And I guess some of it came from I originally also went out looking for companies who might be sort of selling VCD from a lab management perspective. I thought, actually, you know, this is an ecosystem. There's a, a company over in the US called SkyTap. Um, and I don't know if you know them or familiar with them. I don't much. I, I have. I've done it. I did a vendor wag with Sky. Did I do a vendor wag with SkyTap? I think I tried. I looked at them at VMworld, but I never really got them onto the the vendor wag. Uh, I forget now. Sorry to interrupt. Carry on. Because certainly they do this. So their their reason d'etre, I suppose. I'm sure they have others. Is that test and dev is one of the things they do, and they've written a whole load of automation and tool sets around it, so that as a company you can just go to them and say, can you host our test and development? And they will do all this kind of cloning and fencing. I'm sure they've added some extra functionality around it to gear it towards test and dev. I and they, they use vSphere, is that right? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Um, I, they don't operate in Europe. Um, when I spoke to them, I was like, well, that will be a showstopper because our data will have to reside somewhere in Europe. We're not going to host it all in a data center in the US. We're a UK-only company. And I couldn't find anyone in Europe who would actually do this sort of specialty into lab management, which just almost just makes it harder to pitch. You know, if I could find a company who say, what you're trying to do is what we do as a business, and here's our platform, and if you've already got an in-house VMware environment, moving it across is kind of easy, I had an easy sell. Um, and couldn't find it and thought, well, that feels a bit like a gap. Now, maybe the market's not big enough, maybe mostly <laughs> shell, VCD, cloud. I think maybe the issue is is that there's lots of providers across uh, in that partner program, but finding the partner that is nuanced to the needs that you have isn't yet a very easy thing to do, uh, even though there's a website where you can list all the uh, partners. But um, it, when, when we're finished with the recording, I've got a number of partners who I think I could recommend to you, but I don't want to do that while we're recording because... I don't want to come across like I'm promoting one company over another or promoting one partner over because it's it's deeply political. But I know of two or three that are based in the UK that could be of use to you. But let's take that offline. I mean, I always wonder a little whether I'm making it over complex. I, I may well find that all these guys say, well, we all know that VCD could do this. So while there's the politics of it being cloud, this, you may well find any one of these partners would come in, would present to my management team, who would ignore this whole it's multi-tenant and go, actually, that's still what we need. I'm not fast. Yeah. The thing I thought was interesting about this question before we move on to the last little one was, um, as I understand it, and I could be wrong here, one of the most popular uses of vCloud Director is in lab environments and in test and dev environments. Because, you know, people being conservative as they are, the idea of running a production workload in this thing called the cloud, which as we both know is backed by a, a hypervisor that's got 10 years worth plus of, 
of support and stability behind it is seen as being like a kind of radical, dangerous thing to do. But where that VM and that VApp executes on is on the same platform that we run production VMs on. So there's, you know, it's because it's new and different. People are a bit, ooh, I don't know whether we want to run production on it. So as far as I know, and don't quote me on this because I don't have the evidence to produce this, um, as far as I know, anecdotally, one of the most common uses of it is for test and dev. And guess what? Because Lab Manager was end of life, where did those customers go? Well, they, you know, they started to plan moving away from Lab Manager, look for an alternative, and looked at vCloud Director. So, so it's. I think it's. I mean, it's an interesting uh, situation that you find it. And I'm not dis, dis, dissing it or discrediting it, but I thought it was an interesting. And I just wanted you to be able to say what your perspective was, rather than me trying to poo-poo it or counter it with another argument, you know. No, I totally agree. You know, we went through that exact same cycle with VMware. So VMware went to test and dev first. We virtualized all of those, and it slowly found its way, working its way up through production. And I'm well aware if I was putting it in, I would be doing test and dev first to make sure it worked, the less critical. I think it is really around sort of the politics, the, the positioning, and the fact that those decisions, are in our, certainly in our place, are coming sort of top-down. So you have to management that this is the right product that there's a proof of concept worth doing and almost the the general the nuances you said of where it's being positioned doesn't fit so well with them whereas once you get to the in the trenches guys who know how it works and like you said the fact that it's running vSphere underneath and that's proven and everyone in our company is happy with that then there's perfect acceptance that it works and i thought there was a great um, session actually at vmworld all around using vcd for lab management um some big companies, Symantec, Ericsson, who said, yep, we run these clouds. And I went to speak to them afterwards to sort of say, look, I'd love to get a customer testimonial, ideally, see if I could get one of you guys in to actually chat to my management and go, hey, you know, I think it was Symantec. Something like that had, you know, 15,000 VMs running in their test dev VCD environment. And I was like, you know what, I need you to come and chat to my management. <laughs> it's that same thing again. These guys are doing it and they're much bigger than us. And if they're much bigger than us, then why can't we do it? Yeah. Absolutely. As I said, it's back to that real world. If somebody says this works and my management team wants some of that reassurance that it's not just me as a VMware kind of guy saying, hey, here's a tool. Why don't we buy it? There's other companies going, this is what you should be doing or this is certainly what you could be doing. I want them to show them this push button deployment and go, you know what? You could have that. And for them to come back going, yes, make it so by next week, please. <laughs> well, I still think I think we've got time just very quickly to talk about the last topic, which is storage field day um i've been on a, a virtualization tech field day they're run by um stephen foskett through gestalt it but um anyway tell us all about storage field day and what was your experience like and uh did you come out from that uh couple of days i don't know where you were were you in silicon valley during that time yeah it was silicon valley um yeah i thought i thought it was fantastic actually i was i was glad to be invited i'd seen the various other tech field days and so on go along. Um, and actually, it was, it was interesting because I had a few months to sort of distill it. And, you know, I came away from it sort of a bit buzzed. Wow, someone paid to fly me over to the US, little old <laughs> me. And just got really enthused. There was so much energy. I don't think I go to the States enough. Um, <laughs> and I imagine being in Silicon Valley, everyone has just got ideas coming out of their heads. There seems to be funding flowing all over the place. Everyone you meet is a, a CEO of a company. And I saw they, so ours was the two day field day, I think like the others with a next generation storage symposium sort of put on the front. because a lot of the, the delegates had flown in. You've got a lot of the same good speakers around. Um, so they had some of the same sponsors, some new sponsors giving speeches and uh, presentations at this um, conference the day before. And I remember at one point stopping and looking up at this panel who were all either, you know, CEOs, sort of movers, shakers, I'm not sure anyone was over 35, late 30s, possibly early 40s. And they're sort of, you know, this is my third startup. And that one I floated, you know, sold to HP for a billion, whatever it was. And you, I had a <laughs> achiever. There are so, everyone I bumped into, I was like, wow, I know who you are. You're head of this electronics company or something. I don't know. The gene pool was that bit. Better is probably the wrong word. Um, <laughs> place to meet a lot of very clued up people. You know, they say, you know, if you want to get better at something, make sure you, that you know, everyone in the room is smarter than you. And that's how I felt, which was kind of a nice position to be in. Um, it was quite inspiring. I guess it's nice to step outside of my day job, which I've been in the same company five years. You can get fairly used to the amount of technology you see. You step in something completely different 
I think, wow, I'm learning tons, and people keep throwing ideas at me. I'm like, I've never thought of that. That's great. Um, so, so out of out of curiosity, could you say what was the top two or top three things that you took away from the field there, where you thought, wow, this is this is going to be revolutionary, or you know, what was the key takeaways? Um, I guess there were. I mean, I did a blog post about it just after Christmas in a way. So I tried to distill all these ideas into the big couple of trends that struck me. One of those was Flash, which has been around for a little while, sort of in the storage, enterprise storage arrays, but it's still really coming through en masse. We don't have any yet where I work. So we've had NetApp. I know we've we've got some of their sort of Flash cash cards, but yeah. none of the Fusion IO style moving up into the server and being slightly more inventive or an all flash array or anything. And it was interesting, you know, the next generation storage symposium, I think there were maybe eight sponsors of which seven were flash vendors, essentially, you know, there was a huge proportion and most of the topic was around flash and where is flash in an array? Should it be tiered? Is it hybrid? Is it all flash? Do you put it in? Yeah. So flash is definitely hitting its stride. If it hadn't already, I think I was probably a bit behind the curve and it was a bit of a wake up call to look at all these variations what's going into esx everything else um the other one was sort of a bit more interesting was around the the distributed storage i think so vendors like nutanix who just seem to be i don't know put, pulling off the whole google and all these web2 companies who built on commodity hardware everything just scaled everything was built into the application tier such that if a hardware fails nobody notices who are starting to do storage in a similar way and say, actually, it's less about one big monolithic SAN sat in the background. It's more about chunks of storage and locating your applications near the storage and making more building block and scalable in that style. Um, so going a away from centralized storage a bit to a more distributed storage model. And certainly, you know, if I look at my own company, we're, we're nowhere near doing all those. But we started off with sort of one big net app in each of our physical sites. And then as storage grows, you actually bolt on a few others to the point where we've got three or four NetApps in each site. And there is no longer one big central source. Actually, it's that NetApps for this purpose. We've got another one over there for NumProd. We've got another one over there for Archive. It's actually, even though they're bigger chunks, they've still started to become a bit more distributed. Let's put a bit over here, a bit over there, spread the load across these. Um, I think, you know, Chris M. Evans did a great post around this sort of slight trend of it becoming more distributed and less about big iron, big central pots with 200 spindles kind of thing. So those are very notable trends, which I think will, will they'll be interesting to keep an eye on. I don't know. And did you have a third one or does it escape your memory now? There's probably too many. Those were the, the big two that I remember writing about. Because actually everything wraps into that. There's so many times that you think, well, that's just another facet of that flash trend or whatever it would be. Um, the other one was just, I suppose, for me, it's the whole thing like blogging. You know, those are the kind of events I got into blogging for. Mm. It gives you a completely different mindset, a different group of people, totally different ideas, exposure to other ways of thinking that if I was just sat at my desk at my company, I would have no a knowledge or exposure to. Um, I guess you, you being a V expert helped a little bit as well. Um, or any sort of wider industry recognition beyond your certifications is, yeah. is useful. Certainly, you know, I guess the same applies for that V expert. You get vendors approaching you, you get access to betas, same things that, you know, I may well go and trial a beta of a product in my little lab at home that is never going to be useful for my company because I want to know about it. I might well write a blog post. It's just general awareness. I'd like to know what's going on in the industry. There's always that. I'll give it a try because you never know when it'll be useful for my company. There's going to be a new project next month and I'll go, hey, I know the perfect product for that. We didn't know about it before, but hmm. I'm the expert program, so I do know it exists. I certainly know what you mean about being in Silicon Valley and, and what I've, I mean, I was, I've, I was there last year to do the vendor wag across uh, the valley. Um, I happened to be speaking at the VMUG there. And I thought, well, why not take the podcast on site rather than doing it through WebEx? So I hired a car and I bounced around six or seven businesses around the valley area. And I just thought, my God, what would my career been like if I just packed up my back like uh, Dick Whittington and gone off here uh, in 2000 when I was made redundant? where would my career be? But I guess it's a sliding doors thing. You can't know where you might be if you'd taken um, a different route, but it just, it is such a melting pot. Uh, it's hard to think of a, in what we do, it, it's really difficult to think of another place that has the same kind of 
you know, effect in size. And yeah, historically there's been places like, I don't know, uh, RTP in North Carolina and Colorado and places like that, but it's still an enormous draw internationally, not just in the US, but across the globe. So, you know, it's an inspiring place to be. I started looking into some of that, actually. I, was, uh, I still made a, a blog post sort of around could you have done, you know, a tech field day style thing here? Because I remember thinking, you know, why, why wouldn't it? And I, I don't think it would work because, as I said, drive around Silicon Valley and anyone who's anyone is probably within a 20-minute drive. It's absolutely crazy. The number of offices, tech oh, calls, no. we're all, <laughs> number of The gene pool of people who fall <laughs> on, who know what's going on, hmm. and then come back over. Even to London, you know, biggest city in Europe. And you're like, you know what? I just don't feel it. I don't feel the... <laughs> I mean, in fairness, to defend our own country, the the uh, government here is trying to kick off a kind of Silicon Valley in the kind of shortage end of London, and you know I think that's great. You know, let's promote single startup entrepreneurs and whatnot. But it's uh, in comparison, it it's it's a fraction of of yeah. the size. But you know, from small shoots, hopefully big trees grow. But um, it, when you when you compare and they say oh we're going to make this into the Silicon Valley of of of, of Europe we're like hmm we've got some distance to run to get to get anywhere near that kind of uh, uh, environment it's not just the companies and the ideas as you said it's the capital it's the money that that funds those ideas that are equally as valuable and we all know what you know spare money flying around isn't something that seems to be pretty plentiful right now in the current economic cycle but. You know, I, I think Silicon Valley is kind of bucking the trend. It's going through a very healthy period of speculation because why put your money in stocks or put your money in something else where the return isn't there when you could invest in 10 different startups and only one of them has to be successful for you to hit pay dirt. And I think some, you know, those people who've got money to invest are looking at traditional investments and going, well, they're not worth anything. Look at the interest rates on government bonds, you know, they don't even cover inflation. So might as well have a punt on a few startups instead, but perhaps that's what the way people are thinking. But I guess we're drifting off topic again. But I think it's time to wrap up. You know, Ed, it's been really useful and very interesting for me to listen to what you have today. Uh, thank you very, very much to for being on the show. Will I, will I see you next week at the London VMUG? Uh, you certainly will. Right. Well, great. Well, I'll see you in person. We should have done this in person, but we've been, uh, people don't know, we've been... <laughs> keep on being, trying to do this and I was one well and then we were out of the country and yada yada so I took this opportunity because Ed was free to you know get this in the can but thank you very much for your time today it's been really valuable. It's been great.